Welcome back to Pragmatic Visions. Today we sat down with Land Design's Allison Peckett and special guest Megan Barnes of the Landscape Architecture Foundation to discuss the significance of research and data in measuring project performance. In 2020, a group of data-driven land designers participated in LIS Case Study Investigation Program, a platform that brings together leading design firms, academia, and funding to analyze the impact of the places we create. Our team partnered with George Mason University to quantify the environmental, social, and economic impact of the Potomac Science Center and take a critical look at the design decisions and their influence on the landscape. Keep listening as Allison and Megan share key findings from the study, lessons learned, and the importance of investing in performance metrics for guiding the future of design. Thank you both for joining uh, Will and I on Pragmatic Visions. Um, to start, could you just introduce yourselves and a little bit about your background? Sure. My name is Allison Peckett. I'm an associate and senior designer at Land Design, and I work in the Alexandria office. Um, and I've been here for about six years, and I'm in a studio that focuses primarily on urban design projects, so multifamily development, um, and yeah. I'm Megan Barnes. Uh, I'm with the Landscape Architecture Foundation uh, out of Washington, D.C., and I'm the program manager for our research programs. So that includes the Landscape Performance Series, Case Study Investigation, as well as the Deb Mitchell Research Grant, and as a bonus, the Super Studio. Well, thank you so much for joining us as an external guest. It's always exciting. Um, Megan, could you tell us a little bit about the LAF investments and give us a background on that? Yeah, so um, really our, our mission is similar to a lot of other environmental organizations, right? So it's the supporting the preservation, improvement, and enhancement of the environment, uh, which is a very broad mission. Uh, but our theory of change is that landscape architects and landscape designers are especially well positioned to realize this mission, right? So um, that's kind of where we got interested in landscape performance, uh, which I guess just to start out as, as a baseline definition of what we mean when we say landscape performance, uh, the, there, are, there are a lot of definitions out there, but the one that we use is landscape performance is a measure of the effectiveness with which landscape solutions fulfill their intended purpose and contribute to sustainability. Um, and, and there we're sort of hoping that your purpose is to achieve sustainability, right? Um, that's kind of a given uh, for those that we work with. Um, but really, the in layman's terms, we help people measure their projects. We're answering that question that, at least for me personally, and I think for others, kind of rattles around in your head as a designer. Are we doing the things we're, we say we're doing and keeping ourselves honest? You know, we, we market ourselves, we talk about our work, but are we really digging in to make sure that we're keeping those promises, especially as landscapes are changing systems and as the technologies that we're using are changing and shifting? Um, so Essentially, um, what LAF has done uh, in this area with the Landscape Performance Series, um, I, I call it the LPS, uh, or the, in the Case Study Investigation Program, which is CSI, which is a little confusing, but um, we've really supported the, the profession in doing that. Um, so it started back in 2011. Uh, I think the interesting thing about it is that back in 2011, we put out a general call to designers, um, we thought, you know, oh, designers should be able to do this, to quantify environmental, social, and economic benefits of landscapes. Um, so we asked, you know, submit your project and tell us its benefits, right? And we received very few submissions and, and none that were actually publishable. Um, and that's not to say that these projects weren't doing those things. It was just that there was a lack of 
both knowledge and resources out there to actually evaluate performance. So that's why we created the Landscape Performance Series, which is really a resource to help people do this. Um, and then the case study investigation program kind of steps in and fills that both that knowledge and funding gap by partnering firms with resources at universities. So that's faculty and students, uh, students to bring the legwork and kind of do a lot of those things that can't always be billable hours for professionals. Um, and then faculty to provide that knowledge base in actually evaluating landscape performance. Um, so that's kind of why we invest in this work. Um, and we've, I just had the numbers up, but I, you know, something like 90, pro, 90 teams, over 90 teams over these 10 years, um, really training a lot of people, you know, at least usually 30 people or so participate every year. And that's practitioners and faculty and students. So training up the profession in this is, is what that investment means. That's amazing. Um, that's really exciting. So to Allison, um, what sparked Land Design's desire to participate in this program? And then from you too, as a landscape architect, just, you know, your desire to look at our work in that way. I think that Land Design's always had a really strong relationship with LAF. Um, and a group of us at the Alexandria office have been working together over the past several years on this firm-wide initiative, evaluating how data can be leveraged to kind of better communicate the value of our projects to clients. And we always use this phrase, creating places that matter. And our response to that is, well, then let's prove it. Like we're really trying to understand what it means to create these places that matter. And how can we begin to then quantify what makes a land design project successful? Is it the popularity? Is it the revenue generated? Is it environmental benefits or a combination of these items that kind of prove that success? And we think it's not really enough anymore to just say that these projects that we work years and years on matter. We have to, or must really, uh, accurately measure the value and performance of the built work that we're doing. And so I would say that LAF has always kind of been seen as the champion of promoting performance metrics within our industry. And as Megan kind of mentioned, a big part of their mission is to help elevate the work and value of our work as landscape architects. As a part of that, they've really spearheaded a lot of great tools and resources to promote this exploration that we've always explored peripherally, but we really needed someone to help facilitate and guide that. And so the, the case study investigation or CSI, as we've been calling it, um, by LAF has always been something that our group saw as this great way to almost test the waters for a few big ideas that we really thought could unlock the metrics and data initiative in our firm. One was to have a more guided and facilitated deep dive into the performance of a project through this incredible organization, LAF, that had all these amazing tools. And this also allowed us to explore partnerships with local universities who we would be collaborating with for this research. And, you know, throughout um, the group's research, we found that a lot of other firms that are doing this kind of work and a lot of the data collection and research was actually being done by partnerships with different universities. Um, so this was like a really key benefit, we thought, to diving into the CSI because um, it would allow us to establish that relationship. Um, and a fun fact, I think we actually applied maybe two or three times before we got selected. But having LAF right here in DC has allowed us to maintain a really great relationship with Megan, who's been an incredible cheerleader and has encouraged our group keep applying each year if we weren't initially selected. And I, I think that the third time was the charm. 
Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it was, you know, there's definitely challenges with um, COVID this year and just, you know, accessibility to getting out to the site and connecting with um, the student and faculty we are working with, but we really were able to kind of power through and make it work. Um, and there was a lot of great flexibility throughout the process. So Megan, why did you finally choose us? <laughs> Yeah, actually, I can talk a little bit about sort of, I would say, you know, maybe half of those we choose every year sometimes are multiple time applicants, right? Um, Because a big piece of that is that what we're trying to do with the landscape performance series and using CSI as a mechanism is to paint a picture across the nation, across, well, in the world, different typologies, different, um, you know, types of practice even. Um, So we look for diversity in every year's cohort of CSI. So if we get a lot of applications from DC, for example, unfortunately, that means that, uh, you know, we'll probably only pick one. I mean, that's not hard and fast, but, um, and that's why, you know, we really focus on multiple time applicants as a good bet, right? They're committed. They're really interested in doing this. And for from land design's perspective, you know, you guys have been doing this for a long time. We've been, you know, hopefully inspired by us in some way, but you, you know, you haven't necessarily needed our help to move forward here, but it's been really cool to, to be a part of a part of it in some way. And, you know, I think it really resonated what Allison said with making partnerships with universities as being a key way for firms to really get this done. And that's the main question I ever get about how do we actually do this as a firm. And, you know, usually lack of funding is a big one, but if you can make partnerships with universities who have much different funding systems and and capacity, um, you can get some really interesting things done. Uh, But essentially the the reason that this, I mean, this project was great for us um, because it's really an exemplar. It's something that other research facility type build can look at as an example, because at least in my opinion, the water story and the the environment is so integrated in every kind of piece of the site. Um, and from a performance perspective, that does make it a lot easier for us to tell a story with the case study and then to evaluate the performance of these different different pieces. Um, and, you know, whether or not that all comes out in the final case study, um, it almost never does. Right. It, it can't all just be captured in a one time snapshot of the site. Um, but I think setting this site up to be further studied is also really valuable because it's it's literally a research facility. It's, you know, there, there are people around who, who are interested. Obviously, land design is interested in tracking this over time. Um, so using it to kickstart something bigger is something that we look at uh, in the CSI app, the selection process as well. Um, I, I just like the project because you can really feel the influence of the landscape architect on this site. You know, I know that you there were there were some some challenges, um, you know, as outlined in the case study, but it, it, the vision came through really clearly, I think. Allison, from your perspective, you know, why did Land Design select Potomac Science Center as our case study project? Yeah, I think similar to what Megan just said, it had this really rich story, right, about the the stormwater, and it was really thoughtfully woven into all these features for both the people at the university to kind of engage with and interact with, but also the public. So there's this really interesting public-private, I guess, way that this facility was influencing people. Um, And so a few things that I think were kind of unique, which made this collaboration especially 
um, exciting was that, you know, the Potomac Science Center, we already had a great relationship with the faculty um, and the department since we'd worked with them throughout the project. So this made it much more seamless to really dive into identifying the environmental or the social economic benefits that we wanted to measure. And you know, while we really knew that there was this rich stormwater story, we were surprised at just how many actual social benefits there were once we dived into it that we didn't realize. So we started to look at, you know, how the trail served as this public amenity. Um, there's this beautiful trail that runs right through the site. And part of the case study was to survey people who were using the trail and understand how this integration of the trail into the site allowed them to engage more in ecological based activities like plant ID or bird watching. And so when we we kind of jumped into this with the faculty and uh, the student. We broke down the benefits into these three main buckets, which was easy to do with this particular project. As Megan mentioned, there's a lot of things that we could potentially measure, but we wanted to make sure that we really focused on the things that were most unique to this project. And we'd implemented all these great stormwater features like cisterns and permeable pavers, but we never had really measured how these features were actually performing. And this really highlighted the whole purpose of our group was here we are putting all this effort and thought into providing this environmentally rich landscape, yet we really hadn't done this deeper dive uh, either during or after to really measure and unlock how it's doing and do it justice. So I think it was an easy decision to choose this project because there's just so many features from, you know, rainwater gardens or native plantings, um, different amenities that were purposefully designed throughout the site. It just seemed like a natural fit. So what were some of the key data findings from this process? So as I mentioned, you know, we looked at it in, under this umbrella of environmental, social and economic. Um, and as Megan mentioned, this particular um, facility, the Potomac Science Center, it's an extension of George Mason University. So it's just to give you a little background, it's positioned on the Occoquan River in Prince William County, and it serves as the premier tidal basin freshwater lab facility in the Chesapeake Bay watershed. So the original condition of the site was just this open field that kind of had woodlands and it wasn't super accessible to the shore. And so they created this beautiful facility to provide these indoor and outdoor spaces to kind of support the Potomac Science Center's mission to sustain the health of this ecosystem. So when you walk around the site, the design features all these different low impact techniques, um, highlighting what we call the water story to educate students and the public on the management of kind of the stormwater and where it's going and really bringing that to the surface and how that then impacts aquatic habitats and whatnot. And so people can really engage in the landscape through these different programs. So from an environmental perspective, some of the things we looked at was like understanding the implications of the water harvesting, how much we were collecting through rainwater harvesting and kind of making some large scale comparisons about this is equivalent, you know, the amount that we were able to harvest is equivalent to a year of drinking water for 13 people. So we saved 2,400 gallons of water annually. We talked about kind of the social engagement of how 
Well, I guess to step back for a minute, one of the pieces that was helpful was doing on-site surveys with people who were actually actively using the trail that ran through the site. And so we were able to really connect or the student we were working with was able to create a survey and really understand how people are engaging with these activities. People talked about kind of what uh, systems they're working with, what they're utilizing. And we think ultimately from an economic perspective, um, this particular investment of this facility really catalyzed a lot of grants to projects that were headquartered because this was really the hub. And so with new researchers moving into the Science Center, um, we were able to really quantify like how that then is going to impact funding for the facility. So it's like there was all these different layers, um, you know, educational pieces tied to the water, but also the social impacts of how this facility really is this amenity for residents and how that's then impacting the community at large or education groups. So lots of different pieces. I'm curious what else and if you could if you could do it over again or do more, um, especially in the non-COVID year, I'm curious what you would be interested in kind of looking at more closely. Hmm. Well, I, I think it's an interesting question because like there's one of the things I thought was interesting about this particular relationship with the student. And as I mentioned earlier, this was really our first experience, like understanding how we could engage with a student researcher. And so to a certain degree, it was kind of interesting because the two people we were working with, one was a faculty who worked with this student and had kind of p- picked her, who was a great fit. The faculty, Cindy, had worked on the project with land design. So she was very, very familiar with like what was working, what wasn't working. And then Mackenzie had this really fresh attitude where she didn't really know anything, but she was just eager to dive in. And so in the beginning, we were brainstorming. This is what we think naturally is the best things to measure. And she kind of had different ideas because she kind of was coming at it from this different lens. So I think we were really focused on a lot of the environmental pieces, naturally, because we're landscape architects. Um I think she tended to maybe gravitate toward more of the social or um, economic impacts as well. And so the layering of all those things together, I think, made it really rich. And I think, you know, it was interesting that we're able to unlock through our relationship with the faculty who actually works at the facility, we were really able to get this feedback where she saw the pitfalls once the project was completed. So she was able to kind of come to us and almost do this post-occupancy look at what was working or not working. And as a part of that conversation, one of the things, the examples I think we mentioned in the case study was signage wasn't included in the original scope of work. And so there was a lack of dedicated funding to complete this signage, which was really this instrumental part of this education and interpretation. One of the core pieces is this water story. And so we feel like it lost some of the effectiveness because the signage that explains the intent of the design features throughout the site wasn't actually implemented. And so we think that could have maybe elevated the story. And I think as a group, we talked about, well, if we had time, it would have been interesting to like create some sort of signage program or an interpretive signage and like kind of measure or see how that then like impacts education programming or engagement with the different uh, features throughout the site. Because without that, like we understand what's happening and the benefits are being executed. But 
such a big part of this project was the layering in of that education piece. And so we felt that that was a missed opportunity due to a variety of reasons. And it would have been kind of interesting to explore how that information and signage could really elevate uh, the entire site. No, I would add that that's a, a unique setup um, and a fortunate setup to have a faculty member who, you know, worked on the project, works in the building. Um, that's not rare, but it's uncommon in CSI. Um, and I think it provides a very different experience for, for the firm and for everyone. So if you do decide to apply again, you would definitely have a likely have a different setup. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, it's th- those, it's a lot easier to get at those lessons learned, especially when you have that, that built in partnership and understanding of the project. Definitely. Now kind of looking back, um, do you feel like the design decisions that were made when, you know, we were first working on this project, do you feel like they fulfilled their purpose and that intentionality is carried through to today? Well, so I actually did not work on the project. Um, Stephanie Pinkowitz and Christine Giangrandi and others, I'll probably miss a bunch of people who worked on it. They were a great resource of information for us because we were trying to kind of wrap our heads around the project. We were debating whether we should do this project or, you know, a more current project. But I think there were so many things that this project checked the boxes on. And so, you know, they were able to provide a wealth of information to us. I think it was really interesting kind of getting this high level view of the project. And then when we dove into actually looking at some of these things, um, yeah, it revealed a lot of interesting layers that, you know, after not touching the project for so long, it was kind of fun to just go back and dive into this. And again, as I mentioned, Cindy, who is actually working actively at the facility, but has been there the whole duration, she really was able to provide that consistent thread of this is what the idea was that we intended. And this is actually what's happening for better or for worse. Some of the systems, you know, we found maybe there is issues with um, the pavers over the long term, or maybe um, some of the harvesting systems had had to adapt because of maintenance or because, you know, for this project, it was a public-private partnership between the university and agency of the Commonwealth of Virginia and joint developers. So I think because of that, there was some challenges. Just everyone had different stakes in the project. And so things got a little bit siloed. So she was able to kind of bring those to light and explain the nuances of how certain things were currently working. And so it was interesting for us to kind of like look back almost as this post-occupancy evaluation and say, well, actually these permeable pavers are doing X, Y, and Z. And I think that's such a big layer to what Megan and I were discussing before is that as landscape architects, you know, we have this commitment and obligation to these projects to really go back and look at them and do this deep dive, not for every project, for, but to look at our projects and understand how are they actually performing. You know, we put in these pavers or we put in these systems and a lot of times they fail and like, how can we continue to improve? And so I think the CSI really gave us that opportunity to like look in a very detailed manner um, and measure things. And it makes you wonder, you know, why you shouldn't be doing that throughout the process or who's who's running those calculations or how can we make this a more integral piece instead of doing it afterwards? You know, how can we take the knowledge from what's working or not working and use it to make 
our next project better. So that's kind of the goal, I think. <laughs> it seems like a very uh, vulnerable process of dissecting all of that. Probably a lot of ego gets in the way. Megan, can you speak about that a little bit? How that works with collaborating with designers to determine all of this? Yeah, I mean... I think, you know, in this particular, in the Potomac Science Center case study, you can see that in the partner lessons section, um, as well as the lessons learned across all of our case studies. Um, I specifically recommend those sections to people. Um, you know, obviously, land design is really great about being open of where things didn't go perfectly. You know, when, when I was a student doing my MLA, I thought every project was you know, like the cover of Landscape Architecture magazine. Oh, it's so <laughs> perfect. It's so easy. It just happens. You know, it, it all unfolds just as the designer intended because, you know, they they control it. And, and that's just not how it works, obviously. So what we do in CSI is really to ask our firm partners to be really vulnerable and open to share where challenges came up. And then importantly, how they address them, you know, how they worked with them, how they did what they do, which is solving problems, right? And I, I like the lessons learned section in particular because it just shows those lumps and bumps inherent in any project. Um, whether, you know, often that's in communications, you know, contractors, clients, there's always, you know, there are always lots of priorities in the mix um, or, you know, materials issues. Um, those are good for others to know about, right? Um, and it's great for the firm to know about too, moving forward. It could be maintenance challenges, right? That That's a very high contributor to uh, to performance, right? Um, so we really hold all those things up as learning opportunities, both for the firm and then for others that are are reading about their work and and hopefully taking, taking something home about it. Allison, was there any sort of, you know, hesitation about diving into this process and being as vulnerable as possible and really looking at the work and what did perform, what didn't perform, or was that something that you all just embraced as it's part of this process and, and really critiquing what we have done? Yeah, I think we were pretty open to it. I think because so much time had passed, it was really a good opportunity for us to kind of jump back in, you know, everyone had kind of taken a pause. And so the team that was looking at it, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Stephanie was a great resource and she was really plugged into it from the inception. But those of us who are working with the student and the faculty, we almost felt equally as fresh to the project. So we were able to come to it with a critical eye or ask, well, why did you do this? Or why did we do that? Or let's look at this. And so I think maybe not being as plugged in might have helped us to just kind of take that bigger lens and look at it. I don't know if I would say a critical eye, but just like question things or or look at how we can measure certain things or what would be valuable without knowing all the nuances. And the people that did know the nuances, like Stephanie or the faculty, they were there then to help kind of guide and facilitate those conversations and explain like, well, this is why we did that. Or there's a layer here you don't know about the stakeholder we were dealing with. Or like Megan mentioned, there was maintenance or other layers that were more challenging. So I think the combination of our most naivete entering it um, with their expertise as a good balance throughout the process. Kind of gets a, a, a core, I just call it attention within CSI um, of objectivity. You know, we want to objectively evaluate these landscapes, truly ask the hard questions about whether they're working, but we also you know, we're working with firms who who have all of this wealth of information about why things happen the way that they did, right? And so um, it's 
that's why we have this model that we've created with the faculty and student, you know, sort of being our somewhat objective observers. Um, again, there's a gradient of that. Sometimes they're really involved in the project and that, that works fine too. But, um, and then you have the firm and ultimately what we're creating is not, it's not simply a marketing product, right? That's not what it is. It can be used for that. And, and our case studies are absolutely are used for that and they show the value. And that's, that's a really key piece of it but they also are this learning tool, right, um, for everyone. So finding that sort of maybe sometimes uncomfortable middle ground between, you know, objective research and creating this product really comes up a lot in CSI. And I think that's actually a really productive space to be in, despite it seeming um, a little bit challenging sometimes. I think it's interesting, too, because, you know, when you go onto the website, I guess at the end of the process, all of these case studies that these different firms and research uh, partnerships are doing, they're published. And so there's years and years, like Megan mentioned, of case studies. And the the objective is for them to be a tool that people can use to look, go say, oh, I'm doing a project like this. Here's a great resource. And so, you know, when you go onto the website, you have to be able to find this distilled information. Like, what are you, what are these projects generally trying to extract and highlight? And so, right, you can go down these deep rabbit holes and just start measuring things. But the, the formatting of the program really forces you to focus in on like, someone is coming to this website and knows nothing about this project. Give me the like one paragraph overview. Give me the challenges and a couple bullet points. Give me the five things you're measuring. And, you know, to get there was a year's worth of work and deliberating with the students and talking to Megan and making sure that we had really like honed in on what those things were. But at the end of the day, it has to be distilled into this really succinct case study where anyone can come in and understand and see, okay, this was your objective and this was kind of your outcome, Um, which I think, like Megan was saying, that is the challenge in and of itself. But if you can get there, then the information is actually going to be valuable for people and a tool for people moving forward. It's interesting. We, in our you know, our surveys we do at the end of the program of the participants, we ask our students and faculty how how much of their work do they think was actually represented in the final product. And sometimes it's, oh, 30 to 50 percent is represented. You know, it's, <laughs> it's a lot, uh, a lot of work that goes in for this product. But um, the Lancia Performance Series was designed to be this powerful, you know, punchy tool. Those benefits, they are short they are succinct as we can make them um, while still being accurate, which sometimes is, is the challenge to just word everything exactly, you know, properly so that it conveys what you what what it needs to convey. Um, and, you know, all research has limitations, for example. So um, all of that is included in our methods documents, which is where you can dive a little deeper. But um, it's a big piece of the challenge. It's honestly a writing challenge, too. Right. I think a lot of our research assistants get a lot of experience in writing through this program, too. So looking forward, when it's all said and done, how can we use this data in our future design work? Well, as a group at Land Design, there's a cohort of us that are kind of continuing to try to unlock how we could integrate this service into our practice. And LAF was this great pilot for us to beta test the process and form this partnership that would inform these deeper dives in the future. And as I was mentioning before, you know, we think it's not long, it's no longer enough to just simply say that we create places that matters. We need to elevate our level of expertise by using this kind of evidence-based design in order to solve these really complex issues um, with more conviction and to really accurately measure the value and the performance of our work. 
So for us, this means identifying the right clients and projects that have this shared vision and excitement to unlock the benefits of their project. You know, we think it means understanding the value of these partnerships. How can we continue to see the added value of collaborating with universities whose interests really align with our research goals? And before we really began collecting endless amounts of data, which we know is some a rabbit hole we could and probably have gone down, we knew we needed to understand which metrics are providing the most benefit to our clients and project teams. And this is kind of a key piece of it, we think, at Land Design. And the Potomac Science Center project revealed that every project has unique features and there's not really one size fits all solution. That's what makes every project so rich and exciting. And so we know there are opportunities to continue to do these deeper dive case studies for projects. And we do think that there are definitely projects and clients who are best suited for these deeper dives. Um, We actually interviewed a series of thought leaders, clients and industry experts to really understand what they'd find valuable to measure. And it was really interesting exercise. And we found across the boards that clients are interested in this data to help leverage their decision making and are really interested in working with people or firms that are experts and the leaders in this market. And so, you know, our take is kind of like, we should be on that train. Um, We should be doing this work. We should be the experts um, and we should be coming to clients and projects with that layer of knowledge. We also think that there's tremendous synergy and research opportunities that could be happening between other firm-wide strategic initiatives. So whether that's business development or marketing, recruitment, if we're able to align our efforts, then I think that the collective energy of these investments working together is what we believe is going to allow them to move forward with success. So acknowledging that this DNA is really a part of our uh, or innovation is part of our DNA. So even if internally we see all these opportunities to push thought leadership and influence external communications and really just continue to figure out ways we can cultivate uh, this information sharing. And if we educate ourselves, which we think this is a piece of that on the value of performance, the better we're going to be as designers. And so ultimately, we're helping to influence being better at what we do every day. And that's a huge piece of it. And that's why we think it's extremely valuable. Those are exactly the things I want. I like to hear from our our, (laughs) firm participants. Um, Speaking in generic terms, that's that's what a lot of firms do after this experience. Um, Integrate it in their design process from the beginning. Find a way to do that. Find a way to standardize it. Many, it changes the way that they kind of keep records of things. Um, some launch entire research divisions, you know, that that happens. Um, and then some seek out new partners that are amenable to doing this, seek out clients that are amenable to doing this. You know, I've, I've heard that tech clients in particular are good partners for performance-focused projects. Um, and some continue to work with their CSI partner. So I would say... Every firm, you know, integrates this in some way going forward. So I love to hear that. And I think at Land Design, we have so many like things that I would say fall under this innovation umbrella. So we have the Matter Lab, which I don't know, Megan, if you're familiar with. Um, It's different grants for people to kind of explore different topics. I'm probably butchering that 
explanation, <laughs> but it's this idea that like we need to continue to learn and innovate and explore and push the way we're thinking about processes or projects or ideas. And so it's just refreshing to kind of have this umbrella, like I said, of innovation where, you know, we're exploring this, there's people that are doing Matter Lab. Um, and I think that that's just going to elevate our collective knowledge as designers and, and transform the way that hopefully our firm continues to move forward. So is the 2021 program already kind of wrapped up or underway or what does the future look like for the CSI program? Yeah, 2021, as of yesterday, all of the case studies are out to our peer reviewers. So that's a really key piece of this, that um, all of our case studies are reviewed um, by sort of a, a panel of both practitioners and, and faculty uh, to ensure that you know, they are of, of a standard of, a, you know, to be, to be included in our database. Um, and then we have just opened the call for the 2022 program. Um, so expecting to see a lot of applications this year, excited to see uh, what comes in, but those are due on November 1st. Well, thank you both. This was just really great to hear the perspective from, you know, both of you looking at data and metrics and really how we're measuring performance to just make, you know, our designs better and our places better. Um, so thank you both for taking the time to chat with Will and I. Thank you for having Thanks. me. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having us. Pragmatic Visions is produced and programmed by Allison Beecham with additional production and editing by me, William Young. You can find our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and TuneIn Radio. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.